Welcome to Angry Americans. Welcome to episode 60. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. And if you're not angry, you are not paying attention. You'd be surprised at how many people are taking it, especially the frontline workers, before you catch it. The frontline workers, many, many are taking it. I happen to be taking it. I happen to be taking it. Hydroxychloroquine? I'm taking it. Hydroxychloroquine. Right now, yeah. A couple of weeks ago, I started taking it. Because I think it's good. I've heard a lot of good stories. And if it's not good, I'll tell you right, I'm not going to get hurt by it. It's been around for 40 years for malaria, for lupus, for other things. I take it. Did the White House doctor recommend that you take that? Is that why you're taking it? Yeah, White House doctor. I didn't recommend. No, I asked him, what do you think? He said, well, if you'd like it. I said, yeah, I'd like it. I'd like to take it. A lot of people are taking it. A lot of frontline workers are taking hydroxychloroquine. A lot of front... I don't take it because, hey, people said, oh, maybe he owns the company. No, I don't know the company. You know what? I want the people of this nation to feel good. I don't want them being sick. And there's a very good chance that this has an impact, especially early on. But you look at frontline workers, you look at doctors and nurses, a lot of them are taking it as a preventative. And they're taking, totally unrelated, but they take the z or the zithromycin for possible infection. Now, I haven't taken that other than an original dose because the, all you need, you don't have to take it simultaneously, but the zinc you do take. So I'm taking the two, the zinc and the hydroxy. And all I can tell you is, so far, I seem to be okay. He is definitely not okay. And he is definitely not a doctor. And maybe it doesn't make you angry that he's taking it himself. But it should make you angry that he's pushing it. Despite the risks to patients with COVID-19, he's promoting it. He's pushing it. And his minions are pushing it, too. Washington Post has a new report, a study about the anti-malarial drug hydroxychloroquine. President Trump has touted this, uh, but it is linked to higher rates of death in the VA, uh, coronavirus related. Can you elaborate what's going on with this drug? Sure. That, that's an observational study. It's not a clinical study. It was done on a small number of veterans. Um, sadly, those of whom were in the last stages of life, um, and the drug was given to them. And I have to, I have to also say that the drug, we know the drug has been working on middle age and younger veterans. And the governor of New York was just in the Oval Office yesterday asking for more of the drug to be delivered to the city of New York, Uh, working in in stopping the progression of the disease. That's Department of Veterans Affairs Secretary Robert Wilkie last month on MSNBC with Stephanie Rule. We know the drug has been working. That's what he said. On middle-aged and younger veterans. That's what he said. Working in stopping the progression of the disease. That's what he said. Here's the problem. It's bullshit. It's not true. There's no science to back it up. Beyond the fact that Trump and Wilkie want to use dying World War II veterans as guinea pigs to test their coronavirus snake oil, which in and of itself should be enough to make you angry, but it also does not work. Here's Dr. Mike Ryan the executive director of the World Health Organization's Health Emergencies Program. I would point out, however, that uh, at this stage, uh, hydroxychloroquine, norochloroquine have been as yet found to be effective 
in the treatment uh, of COVID-19 or in the prophylaxis against uh, uh, coming down with the disease. Um, in fact, the opposite uh, in, in that uh, warnings have been issued by many authorities regarding the potential side effects of the drug, and many countries have limited its use to that of clinical trials uh, or during clinical trials or under the supervision of clinicians in a hospital setting. That's specifically for, for COVID-19 because of uh, a number of potential side effects uh, that <clears throat> have occurred <clears throat> and could occur. Potential side effects that could occur, like death. Yep. It turns out researchers analyzed the medical records of male veterans hospitalized with confirmed coronavirus infections at the VA who died or were discharged by April 11th. And about 28% who were given hydroxychloroquine plus usual care died. 28% died versus 11% of those getting routine care alone. They died. Death. That's a pretty nasty side effect. Researchers also saw no benefit from the drug. There is no published evidence that the drug is safe or effective for younger veterans with COVID-19. Here's former Trump VA secretary and medical doctor David Shulkin on CNN. At this point, to take a drug that has no effectiveness or no known effectiveness but potential harm just doesn't make a lot of sense. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Trump's former VA secretary said it. The WHO knows it. The VA's own data shows it. And even Neil Cavuto at Fox knows it. A VA study showed that among a population of uh, veterans in, in a hospital receiving this treatment, those with vulnerable conditions, respiratory conditions, heart ailments, they died. There are also a number of other studies out, including the Journal of the American Medical Association, which examined some 1,438 individuals in the New York area across 25 hospitals from the middle of March to the end of March. The study was a real chance to look at the, the, the benefits that the president insisted were hydroxychloroquine. They concluded that among residents, uh, residents hospitalized in metropolitan New York with COVID-19, the treatment or both compared with neither treatment, no statistical differences. A second study done by Justin Jalaris and colleagues at the New York Presbyterian Hospital, Columbia University Irving Medical Center in northern Manhattan from March 7th to April 8th also showed there were no visible differences, that the risk of intubation or death was not significantly higher or lower among patients who received hydroxychloroquine versus those who did not. The VA study to which the president alluded wasn't a loaded political one. It was a test on patients there and those who took it in a vulnerable population, including those with respiratory or other conditions, they died. I want to stress again, they died. If you are in a risky population here and you are taking this as a preventative uh, treatment to ward off the virus, or in a worst case scenario, you are dealing with the virus, and you are in this vulnerable population, it will kill you. I cannot stress enough. This will kill you. So again, whatever benefits the president says this has, and, and certainly it has had for those suffering from malaria, dealing with lupus, this is a, a leap that, that should not be taken casually by those watching at home or assuming, well, the president of the United States says it's okay. Uh, even the FDA was very cautious about this, unless in a clinical trial, safely and deliberately watched. I only make this not to make a political point here, but a life and death point. Be very, very careful. 
Yes, be very, very careful because they died. They died. World War II veterans who faced down the Nazis, who saved the world from fascism, who were struck down by a virus that they could have been, should have been protected from. They died. So happy Memorial Day, everyone. Thanks to President Mayhem's failed leadership, not only has the virus overtaken our country to the point that we now have to cancel Memorial Day activities at Arlington Cemetery and cemeteries around the country, but if Trump and Wilkie have their way, more veterans will die, more veterans will be gone, and they will not get a proper military funeral. They will not be honored properly in Arlington, and more of them will die, more than have already died. As of this week, over 1,000 veterans have died at VA facilities nationwide. And that's up 14% in just seven days. And that's over just two months. 1,000 have died in two months. And those are just the veterans that have died inside VA facilities. It's dramatically undercounting the overall cost. 89 veterans have died in one veterans nursing home in Holyoke, Massachusetts. It's up to 89 now. In Paramus, New Jersey, 79 are dead. In Alexander City, Alabama, 23 are dead. In Manhattan, New York, 92. The Bronx has 64. Boston has 48. New Orleans, 43 dead. Detroit, Indianapolis, Washington, D.C. have all reported 32 deaths or more. In Lebanon, Oregon, 8 are dead. In Floresville, Texas, 5 are dead. In federal and state veterans' homes all across America, World War II veterans are dying. And those are just the ones we know about. Many more are dying in civilian nursing homes. In at least seven states, more than half of the COVID-19 deaths took place in nursing homes. Delaware, Maine, Massachusetts, Oregon, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, West Virginia. 28 states are not reporting veteran deaths at all. So veterans are dying in civilian hospitals. Veterans are dying at home. Veterans are dying on the streets because they're homeless and in shelters. They're dying all across America. And VA, at this point, has still only tested 157,000 veterans in a system that serves 9 million people. New York State has tested 1.5 million people. That's one state that's tested 1.5 million and the VA, with one of the largest budgets in the federal government and an agency that just got another $20 billion from Congress, has only tested 150,000 people. New York will test more people in the next four days than the VA has done nationwide in the last four months. So they don't even know how many veterans have it or how many have died. They're not pushing testing. They're pushing hydroxychloroquine as thousands of veterans die in homes nationwide. And the president, of course, takes no responsibility, and neither does VA Secretary Robert Wilkie. The law prohibits us from taking direct control over those uh, nursing homes. We take complaints. When we hear complaints, we cannot impose our will on those state venues. We cannot impose our will on those state venues. We take complaints when we hear complaints. It's not a suggestion box, dude. It's a national crisis. And this is America. We're not supposed to leave any man or woman behind. We don't leave them to die on a battlefield overseas. And we don't leave them behind to die in a nursing home. Wilkie should be ashamed of himself. 
The president should be ashamed of himself. Every governor in the states that run these veterans' homes should be ashamed of themselves. And since when did these guys care about what the law prohibits? This is the most corrupt administration in modern history. They think they're above the law every single day, but not here when World War II veterans are dying weeks before Memorial Day? Countless veterans have been left behind to die in broken, failing nursing homes. And as a final insult, as they lie on their deathbeds, Trump and Wilkie add insult to injury and continue to push their snake oil campaign by testing hydroxychloroquine on them. And despite the outrage, despite the press coverage, despite even Neil Cavuto calling them out, they're only digging in even further. Thank you, Mr. President. I, and I want to clear up something uh, that the media has not reported accurately. Uh, that was not a VA study. Can you hear him? Because I think it's important. You asked the question. Yeah, that was you, you not. Because I don't even think you're listening. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Why don't you listen that was, to him? That, that was not a VA study. Uh, researchers took VA numbers, and they did not clinically review them. They were not peer-reviewed. Uh, they did not even look at what the president just mentioned, the various comorbidities that the patients who were referenced in that study um, had. Uh, I also want to echo what the, the secretary of HHS said. The instructions I received from the president were very clear, and that was to preserve and protect life. Uh, those of us who have had a military life, some of us around this table, we've been taking this drug for years. As the President mentioned, the Department of Defense and VA have been using it for 65 years. On every, any given day, VA uses 42,000 doses of this drug. And what we did when this virus first hit us was to use every means necessary to help preserve life. Um, we believed that the Congress was right, and the President signed legislation to protect life, the right to try. And we did this in consultation not only with the families of those veterans, but we did this in consultation with our doctors under FDA guidelines. So I want to knock down the phony story that this is somehow the VA going back on what the President told us to do, which was to use every means possible to protect and preserve the lives, the lives of our veterans. And I think, um, as the President mentioned, we've seen in many cases across this country. Uh, in fact, I, I was on the news the day that the Governor of New York was asking you for tens of thousands of doses. That's right. Um, uh, we are doing everything we can to protect uh, the lives of our veterans. Uh, and this is one of the means that we used. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. On any given day, the VA uses 42,000 doses of this drug. Yes, but not for coronavirus. They do it for malaria and lupus. And whether or not you did what the president wanted is not the issue. The issue is whether or not what the president wants you to do is safe. We all know you're a good soldier for Trump. That's clear. And it's also clear that only you and Trump and the president of Brazil and Tucker Carlson think that hydroxychloroquine should be used for COVID-19. Even if it does nothing to help, or even if, even worse, it kills people. It kills veterans. So deploying unproven hydroxychloroquine to fight the virus is like firing chemical weapons at an enemy downwind without wearing a gas mask. It's like saying you have to fire sarin gas at the enemy on the battlefield, even if the gas might blow back in your own face and kill you. 
It's the medical equivalent of gassing your own people. Hydroxychloroquine is like the Dutch oven of coronavirus cures. So Trump wants hydroxychloroquine to work, despite what experts advise. So he's pushing the VA to use vets as guinea pigs to test it out. And the Associated Press and others have called him and Secretary Wilkie out. This is what the AP wrote. Secretary Wilkie had wrongfully asserted publicly without evidence that the drug had been shown to benefit younger veterans. And about 28% of veterans who were given hydroxychloroquine plus usual care died versus 11% getting routine care alone. And remember when President Mayhem said this? We cannot let the cure be worse than the problem itself. We're not going to let the cure be worse than the problem. Unless it's veterans, then it's okay. Hydroxychloroquine killing you is worse than the coronavirus killing you for sure. But Trump and Wilkie continue to twist, spin, and gaslight on the issue. So happy Memorial Day, veterans. You're getting politicized and manipulated by this president yet again. Look, if you're not angry, you're not paying attention. That's the tagline for this show. And no issue has underscored that this year more than the way our veterans have been left to die by the president and his enablers. Republican, Democrat, whatever party you claim or no party at all, we can all unite in our outrage around this issue, which cuts to the very core of how far our country has fallen in the last three years. This show has always been an examination of the great American experiment. And that experiment is in more danger of failing now than at any other point in our lifetime. Every generation has their call to action. From the Revolutionary War, to World War I, to Vietnam, to Korea, to the Cold War. Every generation of Americans has answered the call. And the dead who answered that call are buried at Arlington and at veteran cemeteries around the country and around the world. And the coronavirus has now taken more lives than the Korean War, more lives than the Vietnam War. And by the end of this month, we'll likely have lost more Americans to the virus than we did in World War I. And if this pace keeps up, by the end of the year, we'll have lost more Americans to the virus than we lost in all of World War II. Right now, America has more cases than anywhere else in the world. And President Mayhem actually thinks that's a good thing. So if you're testing 14 million people, you're going to find many more cases. Many of these people aren't very sick, but they still go down as a case. So actually, the number of cases, and we're also a much bigger country than most. So when we have a lot of cases, I don't look at that as a bad thing. I look at that as, in a certain respect, as being a good thing, because it means our testing is much better. So if we were testing a million people instead of 14 million people, we would have far few cases, right? So I view it as a badge of honor. Really, it's a badge of honor. It's a great tribute to the testing and all of the work that a lot of professionals have done. A badge of honor. President Mayhem thinks that having more cases than anywhere else in the world is a badge of honor. Every generation has their call to action. And this moment, this moment is ours. We must answer the call. And our guest in this episode is someone who has answered the call time and time again. Someone that actually knows about real badges of honor. In 2015, she was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom. 
the highest honor that can be bestowed upon a civilian in the United States. Bonnie Carroll. I'm thankful for those, thankful for the things I've done. I can rest in peace. I'm one of the chosen ones. I made it to Arlington. In this episode, we're going to focus on another hidden front line of our war against the virus. In this episode, we dig into loss, the loss experienced by those left behind after a war takes a life. Whether the enemy is Al-Qaeda or ISIS or suicide or the virus, the pandemic is devastating America, and the impact on our frontline fighters is generally known. But what about the families they leave behind when they're killed or die? What about the kids? What about the spouses? It's another hidden and underreported front in our war against COVID-19. And on Angry Americans, we're continuing our groundbreaking focus on the frontline fighters of the war against the virus with another important, inspiring, iconic leader who's shaping what America has been, is now, and will be in the future. Bonnie Carroll's been around the world, helping people deal with the loss of a loved one, helping them deal with pain, helping them mourn. And in this episode, she'll help us all deal with that sense of loss we're feeling. Whether you've lost someone close to you from the virus or not, hearing from Bonnie will bring you strength. She'll bring you perspective. She'll bring you support. And she'll bring you ways to turn your righteous anger into positive impact. She'll give you a way to get involved, to help yourself, and to help others. And she's got an incredible story involving three whales, Alaska, Mikhail Gorbachev, and Ronald Reagan. And of course, she shares her favorite drink and her first car. And I've got some special thank yous, an update on my quest to name the 69 Camaro in my garage slash studio. I've got some news about upcoming guests, my first ever Room Raider score, and an appearance by the great and powerful Ron Perlman, star of Sons of Anarchy and Friend of the Pod. But before we get to our conversation with Bonnie Carroll, there are some issues that have me angry, have others angry, and should have everyone angry, even around Memorial Day, especially around Memorial Day. We have to start with the pandemic and on the painful, terrible, prolonged war against the coronavirus. There are now 5 million confirmed infections worldwide. And thanks to the spectacular failure of our president and a wide range of national and local leadership, America is still on top of the worst scoreboard in the world. There are now 1.6 million confirmed cases in the United States, still more than anywhere else in the world, by a lot. 1.6 million. That's more than the entire population of the city of Philadelphia. It's equal to the population of Phoenix, Arizona. And it's more than the population of every city in America, except for four. It's more than the population of every city in America, except for Houston, Chicago, Los Angeles, and New York. It's more than the entire population of the nation of Estonia. It's more than the population of Bahrain. It's more than half the countries on the planet. 1.6 million Americans. We have more than five times the number of cases of the number two country in the world, which is now Trump's pals in Russia. Putin and Trump have a lot in common, including their inability to stop the rapid growth of the virus. 
Russia has now leapfrogged to number two in the world with 318,000 reported cases. But the Russians aren't transparent about anything other than maybe their love for Trump. So that number is likely much higher. And it's sending people to cemeteries worldwide. And Latin America is now overtaking the U.S. and Europe to report the largest portion of new daily cases globally. Brazil has also jumped to the top of the leaderboard. Thanks to another populist far-right virus downplayer, President Bolsonaro, who insists that COVID-19 is, quote, only a mild flu. He also loves hydroxychloroquine. Thanks to his incompetence in virus denying, Brazil has almost 300,000 cases and almost 20,000 deaths. But they suck at testing and reporting, too, so some experts think they may actually be leading the world with more than the U.S. and as many as 3 million cases. And densely populated Sao Paulo, with over 22 million people in it, may become the next New York. Hotspots are also beginning to emerge in Africa, in Nigeria, in Somalia, and in Tanzania, where the government abruptly stopped releasing its data altogether, right after cases spiked and the United States Embassy issued a health alert. But here at home, COVID-19 is still the leading cause of death in America, and almost 94,000 Americans are dead. 94,000. But still, states are reopening nationwide, and only three states are still shut down. Only 10 have regions closed, and every other state is either reopened or reopening. So even as cases go up in states, they reopen. So now you can go clubbing in Oklahoma. Well, in Montgomery, Alabama, they're running out of beds in their intensive care unit. But in Galveston, Texas, Jeep Weekend is wide open. After several weeks of being stuck inside, thousands have flocked here to Bolivar Peninsula to make the most of their time while out. I've been in quarantine, and like I need to get out and party. Go topless Jeep weekend. What's better than beach and a few drinks and Jeeps? Man, it can't be better than that. In full swing at beaches on Bolivar Peninsula. <laughs> this event comes at a time where beaches across the state are reopening following the coronavirus pandemic. And beachgoers like Chelsea Collier are still taking precautions to stay safe. Wash them hands for 20 seconds and keep them clean with their Germex. Totally. At last year's Go Topless event, Chaos erupted. About 80 people were arrested. Six people were taken to the hospital. But this go-round, the Galveston County Sheriff's Office has enlisted the help of 40 DPS troopers. Come down and have a good time. You have a good time, there's no issues. But when you start acting silly, like the sheriff said on the previous interview, we've got a jail that's got a whole lot of empty holes. The coronavirus would like to thank all of you at Jeep Weekend for your support. And I thank you for helping me identify a place that I will not be going to visit for about two years at least. Because the stupid continues to be the most contagious virus in America. And summer fun is in full swing in many states, and especially in the South. As you heard, the police are not messing around at Jeep Weekend. Maybe people are listening to the police, but they should definitely be listening to this song by the police that you should be hearing at Jeep Weekend and at locations across the country. So whether it's a bar in Wisconsin or a massage parlor in Georgia or Jeep Weekend in Texas, don't stand so close to each other. 
And as is clear in Jeep Weekend and at hot spots and future hot spots all across America, the most intense, contagious, and deadly disease in this country continues to spread. Warm weather is sweeping America. So is the stupid in full force nationwide. So even though experts are warning about a potential second wave, Dallas, Houston, Florida's Gulf Coast, the entire state of Alabama, and several other hotspots in the South have been rapidly reopening their economies and are in danger of a second wave. But it's not just the South. It's also places like Wisconsin. Bars in Wisconsin were packed on Wednesday night. Video from this bar in West Dallas, a Milwaukee suburb, showed patrons huddled together and not wearing masks just hours after Wisconsin's Supreme Court knocked down the state's stay-at-home order. We miss our customers. A lot of them are like family to us, and it's good to see a lot of familiar faces. It's been a long time. Hayden Kruger was one of dozens at Buzzard's Nest enjoying a night out after isolating. It's been kind of boring sitting in my house. Uh, I love my fiancé, but there's only so much we can handle of each other without having interaction from other people. So the Wisconsin Supreme Court overruled the governor and has thrown the state into total chaos. So add the buzzard's nest to places I will not be going for the next decade and places you should not be bringing grandma to anytime soon. The virus continues to shift and hit new places. Since May 3rd, Crawford County, Iowa's caseload has risen by 750%. 750%. Colfax County, Nebraska has increased by 1,300%. So in the Midwest and South especially, areas are rushing to reopen. But by the time football season comes, and by the time Veterans Day comes, we could all be facing some very tough times. Despite what Trump says, a leaked Pentagon memo warned of a real possibility of a COVID-19 resurgence and a vaccine not coming until summer 2021. The memo said the Department of Defense should operate in a, quote, globally persistent novel coronavirus environment without an effective vaccine until, quote, at least the summer of 2021. That's according to a draft Pentagon memo obtained by Task and Purpose. The memo said, we have a long path ahead and with the real possibility of a resurgence COVID-19. That's what the memo reads that would be authored by Secretary of Defense Mark Esper, but did not bear his signature. The memo continued, therefore, we must refocus our attention on resuming critical missions, increasing levels of activity, and making necessary preparations should a significant resurgence of COVID-19 occur later this year. And that would be a smart thing for the military to plan for, because Dr. Rick Bright, the former agency head who oversaw production of a coronavirus vaccine, gave a very stern warning. Americans yearn to get back to work to open their businesses and to provide for their families. I get that. However, what we do must be done carefully with guidance from the best scientific minds. Our window of opportunity is closing. If we fail to improve our response now based on science, I fear the pandemic will get worse and be prolonged. There will be likely a resurgence of COVID-19 this fall It'll be greatly compounded by the challenges of seasonal influenza. Without better planning, 2020 could be the darkest winter in modern history. Damn. From summer Jeep weekend to the darkest winter in modern history. 
sorry to break it to y'all that are headed to Jeep weekend and excited about the summer and or heading to the beach. I hope he's wrong. But still, even as the weather gets warmer. Winter is coming. Winter is coming. <laughs> winter is coming. Only five states in America are still staying home right now and being extremely careful. Only five states in America have leadership that would rather be safe than sorry. The other 45 states in America have leadership that's willing to roll the dice and maybe increasing the likelihood of killing the rest of us. Summer is here, and that's amazing. But it's also weird because we're all still just riders on this storm. Riders on the storm. Riders on the storm. And that includes a ride into Memorial Day, where VA cemeteries will be open to the public on Memorial Day, but wreath-laying ceremonies will be closed. So due to the pandemic, visitors will be allowed to visit the cemeteries over the holiday to place flowers or flags on the grave sites, provided they avoid large gatherings and close contact with other families. And the VA is also scrapping plans to hold any kind of large-scale commemorative events to mark the holiday. They're usually set aside each year to honor individuals who died serving in the armed forces. And in a statement, the VA Secretary Robert Wilkie said ongoing coronavirus restrictions will force this year's observations to be different, but pledged the spirit of the holiday will remain unchanged. So all department cemeteries are going to run from dawn till dusk, but VA officials are asking visitors to adhere to health and safety guidelines and maintain physical distancing while visiting. The department also opened a Veterans Legacy Memorial online site starting on May 14th that allows families to leave tribute comments on a Veterans Memorial page. The site includes a section from every veteran and every service member interned at a VA cemetery. But even cemeteries and even Memorial Day with this crew is not without controversy. Because Salon had a story this week that the Veterans Affairs Department intends to preserve swastikas in U.S. cemeteries. Yeah, swastikas. They're defending the use of swastikas. I can't make this shit up. The National Cemetery Administration says that a law protects, quote, divisive symbols, including swastikas on three Nazi graves. And Salon had the story. So a civil rights group requested that the VA remove the headstones engraved with Nazi iconography from the National Cemetery at Fort Sam Houston in San Antonio, Texas. But the VA said no, and they are instead continuing to preserve the markers. Great. And in a statement, House Military Construction and Veterans Affairs Appropriations Subcommittee Chair Debbie Wasserman Schultz said the VA's response was callous, irresponsible, and unacceptable, and she demanded that the department change course. And this came on the same day that the Anti-Defamation League found that anti-Semitic incidents had reached an all-time high in 2019. So apparently the gravestones are from two German POWs who died in 1943 as captives of the U.S. Army. And along with their names, dates of birth, and death, the milk-white marble is engraved with a swastika in the center of an iron cross. It's the German Army's award for valor, and the phrase, he died far from his home for the Fuhrer, people, and fatherland. And a guy named Les Melnick, the head of public affairs and outreach at the National Cemetery Administration, emails Salon that the Trump administration will continue to preserve these headstones. Because of course they will. 
And his excuse was that the National Historic Preservation Act of 1966 assigned stewardship responsibilities to federal agencies, including the VA and Army, to protect historic resources, including those that recognize divisive historical figures or events. For this reason, VA will continue to preserve these headstones like every past administration has. So I guess in the age of Trump, I actually have to say this. VA, you should pull down the swastikas. You should take down the headstones and change them. It's bad. And in case you didn't know, swastikas are not legal for public display in Germany at all. And all known monuments that feature the Nazi symbol have been removed or replaced. That's in Germany. But here, the Trump administration wants to defend them. Crazy. Crazy, crazy, crazy. So here's my message regarding swastikas on national cemeteries. So in the midst of all this, there will still be wreath layings. Wilkie will preside over the wreath laying at Quantico Cemetery in Virginia. Acting Secretary of Veterans Affairs Pamela Powers will do the same at Culpeper National Cemetery in Virginia. Another undersecretary will lay a wreath at Riverside National Cemetery in California. And another at Calverton National Cemetery in New York. All the events will be live streamed. Now, White House officials have not announced any schedule for Trump or Vice President Pence for the Memorial Day weekend, and the Commander-in-Chief typically visits Arlington National Cemetery. So we will have to wait and see, and we will wait and see if he wears a mask or if he says anything about the swastikas. Now, Memorial Day is not supposed to be about any of that. It's not supposed to be about politics. It's not supposed to be about hate symbols. It's supposed to be about remembering the men and women who died. And that includes thousands of post-9-11 veterans who were buried at Section 60 in Arlington and in other cemeteries around the country and around the world. Operation Iraqi Freedom took 4,418 lives. Now, Operation Iraqi Freedom included casualties that occurred between March 19, 2003 and August 31, 2010 in the Arabian Sea, Bahrain, the Gulf of Aden, Gulf of Oman, Iraq, Kuwait, Oman, Persian Gulf, Qatar, Red Sea, Saudi Arabia, and the United Arab Emirates. Casualties in those countries before 2003 were considered Operation Enduring Freedom. 74 Americans died in Operation New Dawn. Now, Operation New Dawn includes casualties that occurred between September 1, 2010 and December 31, 2011 in the Arabian Sea, Bahrain, Gulf of Aden, Gulf of Oman, Iraq, Kuwait, Oman, Persian Gulf, Qatar, Red Sea, Saudi Arabia, and the United Arab Emirates. Then there's Operation Enduring Freedom, 2,349. Operation Enduring Freedom, if you don't know, includes casualties that occurred between October 2001, the invasion of Afghanistan, and December 31st, 2014, in Afghanistan. And 2,219 of those people died in Afghanistan, and 130 in other locations Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. Djibouti, Etria, Ethiopia, Jordan, Kenya, Kyrgyzstan, Pakistan, Philippines, Seychelles, Sudan, Tajikistan, Turkey, Uzbekistan, and Yemen. 
95 Americans also died in Operation Inherent Resolve. Operation Inherent Resolve includes casualties that occurred in Bahrain, Cyprus, Egypt, Iraq, Israel, Jordan, Kuwait, Lebanon, Qatar, Saudi Arabia, Syria, Turkey, the United Arab Emirates, and the Mediterranean Sea, east of 25 degrees longitude, the Persian Gulf, and the Red Sea. Most Americans don't even know we have troops in these places. And finally, Operation Freedom Sentinel. 90 Americans were lost in Operation Freedom Sentinel, which includes casualties that occurred in Afghanistan after December 31st, 2014. Now, these numbers do not include DOD civilians, but that makes a total of 7,026 military dead since 9-11. And that doesn't include suicides. The number of veteran suicides have exceeded 6,000 every year from 2008 to 2017. Now, of course, they're very different. But more than double that number have died in New York City alone in the last three months from the coronavirus. Thirteen times that number have died in America since the pandemic started three months ago. Thirteen times. So we've lost 13 times the number of people we've lost since 9-11 from the coronavirus. So this Memorial Day is different. And this Memorial Day next year, who knows how many will be dead? or if we'll still be at war against the virus, or if we'll have a new president. I damn sure hope so. But until then, the race is still on. And at least for now, it looks like Biden is still surging, mostly because Trump is fumbling. Former VP Biden now leads Trump by 11 points in a new national poll. The survey from Quinnipiac University shows Biden with 50% to Trump's 39%, up from the 49-41 lead Biden had in April 8th by a poll from the same university. So there's movement happening here. And the survey also noted that more than two months into the coronavirus, Trump's job approval rate is ticking lower. And in an average of national polls from real clear politics, Biden leads Trump by 5.6 points. But right now, Trump's in trouble. And in other election news, with what may be the shortest presidential campaign of the election, in an election with some especially short campaigns. I'm looking at you, Mike Bloomberg and Howard Schultz. Former Republican Michigan congressman turned self-proclaimed independent who wanted to run as a libertarian, Justin Amash, is out. After flirting with running for president as a libertarian and finding out that absolutely nobody is interested in him whatsoever, he's out, which is good news. And also good news, because I get to play this just one more time. Amash said he's dropping out as a third-party candidate because of the coronavirus. He said, after much reflection, I've concluded that circumstances don't lend themselves to my success as a candidate for president this year, and therefore I will not be a candidate. He said in some tweets, the new reality of social distancing levels the playing field among the candidates in many respects, but it also means lesser known candidates are more dependent on adequate media opportunities to reach people. Yeah, dude, blame it on the virus. That's the problem. Well, a mash is out. And unless Jesse Ventura decides to jump in, it looks like it'll be Trump and Biden all the way to the end. So Trump and Biden will continue to battle, and they'll continue to battle for the support of the helpers. That's the theme of this show. Look for the helpers, the folks that are running into the fray, especially now, in the greatest time we'll ever see in our lives for helpers, 
and for heroes, and especially for helpers like Bonnie Carroll. Two days past 18, he was waiting for the bus in his army green, sat down in a booth in a cafe there, gave his order to a girl with a bow in her hair. He's a little Bonnie's an incredible human being. Bonnie retired as a major in the Air Force Reserve after 30 years of service, where her career included service as the chief casualty officer for the headquarters of the United States Air Force. Her last assignment before retiring was in the Pentagon, and she served 16 years in the Air National Guard as a transportation officer, logistics officer, and executive officer. Bonnie served in Baghdad as the deputy senior advisor for programs in the Ministry of Communication, where she managed supplemental funds for reconstruction of telecommunications capability, the modernization of the Postal Service, and the creation of the Iraq Communications and Media Commission. And she continues now to work with Iraqi surviving families facing traumatic loss. And prior to going to Iraq, Bonnie was appointed White House liaison to the Department of Veterans Affairs in Washington. This episode, Angry Americans, is continuing our groundbreaking focus on frontline fighters in the war against COVID-19 with another important, inspiring, iconic guest that's shaping the future. Bonnie's a fascinating person. She has a degree in public administration and political science from American University and a degree in equine science from Springfield College. She's completed the Harvard University JFK School of Government's Executive Leadership Program on International Conflict Resolution. She's a graduate of many military schools, and she was the honor grad in her basic training class. She served on numerous boards and was the co-chair of the Department of Defense Task Force on the Prevention of Suicide by Members of the Armed Forces. And she serves on the Defense Health Board and served on the Board of Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America when I was the CEO. She's also the author of a book, Healing Your Grieving Heart After a Military Death. She's had numerous articles on grief and trauma, and she's appeared everywhere from CNN to Fox to the Today Show. And in 2015, she was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom by President Obama. She was featured in People magazine as a hero among us and received recognition as Washingtonian of the Year. Bonnie worked as a political consultant on presidential and congressional campaigns. She was a consultant on aerospace and national defense issues. And in the federal government, she held presidential appointments in the Reagan and Bush administrations, including a senior level position in the West Wing of the White House as an executive assistant for cabinet affairs. In that job, she was liaison for President Reagan with his cabinet, coordinating domestic and economic policy. And in the administration of George Herbert Walker Bush, Bonnie served the White House Counsel's Office, assisting with legal review of presidential nominees to the cabinet and other senior positions requiring Senate confirmation. And Bonnie divides her time between living outside the Capitol in Arlington, Virginia, and her home in Anchorage, Alaska. In this episode, Bonnie's going to help us reflect on those we've lost. She's going to help us understand the true meaning of Memorial Day. Memorial Day is about all the four eyes: integrity, information, inspiration, and impact. So welcome to a conversation with one of the most important leaders of the last two decades in America. Welcome to a conversation with a conscience of our democracy. Welcome to a conversation with one of the people I most admire and respect in the world. Welcome to Angry Americans. Episode 60. 
and gentlemen, angry Americans around the country and around the world, I am very, very humbled, thrilled, and inspired to have an incredible guest joining us for this episode. Uh, my dear friend, uh, my dear mentor, and a true American hero, the great and powerful Bonnie Carroll. Welcome, Bonnie, to Angry oh, Americans. Well, so good well, to see well, you. That's- that's a humbling introduction and back at you you've been a mentor to me for many years and and thank you we've really been on this journey together for a long time we have it's been it's been interesting <laughs> it's been and I'm, I'm excited to get into it bonnie i ask everyone when we start uh, if you could first share where are you in, in america and and what is it like where you are uh with the pandemic for you and the people around you well, I'm actually just back in our national headquarters. There's only a few of us here, but we're in Arlington, Virginia. And this week, we're kicking off our virtual National Military Survivor Seminar and Family Program. So we've got thousands of families of America's fallen heroes who are coming together, started last night, and gathering to find hope and healing. But uh, right now, I'm in, in Arlington, Virginia. The past two months, I've actually been home in Anchorage, Alaska. Can you please talk about that? Because I was so curious to know if you had been in Alaska or not. And you are amazing in so many ways, but in particular, you have such endurance because you go back and forth from D.C. to Alaska pretty often. But what's it like in Alaska right now? Oh, it's beautiful. When I got there March 18th, we actually were in the midst of snowstorms and winter. And I've been there just in the two months. We've transitioned to 24 hours of daylight, green grass, trees are blooming. The uh, the moose are calving. They're all over. It's it's adorable. So. <laughs> and what, what, what was it like going from Alaska to D.C.? Did it feel like you were far away from the pandemic and then deep in it? Or what was it like for you making that transition? You know, I'm very proud. Alaska's at the bottom of the, the scale of states. So we are, I think, number 49, hovering around 49.50 in how we have been impacted by COVID. But Alaskans have been really, really strict about anyone coming into the state must quarantine for 14 days. There's a lot of the, you know, the hunker down restrictions are in place. So, you know, they've been very, very careful like Hawaii has. Now, coming yeah, Alaska is kind of like the perfect place to be, right? I mean, it's so spread out. It's amazingly gorgeous. It's isolated from a lot of international and national travel. And it, and it seems like people generally work really well together in Alaska, right? So there's a sense of respect and pioneership. So if there are ways to, to tackle something, that's kind of the Alaskan spirit, right? Is working together to tackle it? It is, exactly. And, you know, it's actually been great to be home. One of our, uh, one of our staff who works here at TAP. She's been here for a while. I knew she was a, uh, you know, a military spouse. And she told us that she was going to be moving from the DC area and was going to be going to Alaska. Mm. I thought, how great. So she PCS, she and her husband PCS and arrived up there. And uh, I said, Lisa, great. Well, wow. What does your husband do? What's he, you know, what's his job going to be? Well, come to find out, He's the three-star general in charge of the entire Pacific Rim. So it was... Wow. Yeah, surprise. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the, you know, the, the, I, I would imagine Alaska is probably going to be similar to Maine and other places where there's going to be a, a need, you know, people are going to want to move there. That might be their biggest challenge in the next couple of, of, of months. But it's... Well, it's absolutely beautiful, and everybody has been outdoors. Of course, you can certainly be uh, physically distanced from others. Mm-hmm. So it, it's absolutely beautiful. But, you know, my 
father-in-law was the first adjutant general of the Alaska Army National Guard, Alaska National Guard. And uh, he was killed up there after the 64 earthquake. And then tragically, my husband was killed back in 92 also. Uh, he was a general officer in the Army National Guard and was killed in another National Guard crash. So a, a really tragic legacy there. But that's kind of what led me into the work that I'm doing now with TAPS. I, I want to drill down harder on that in a second, Bonnie, because I think it's, it's such a, an important part of your origin story. You are a superhero. And every superhero has an origin story, and and you have that origin story, and I want to I want to get into it in a second. But when you're in Alaska or you're in D.C., I have to ask you a question I ask of all of our guests, Bonnie Carroll. What is your drink of choice? Your adult beverage of choice? You know, I I am not a drinker, but uh, every morning I start the day with a uh, soy latte. So I don't know if that counts, but. Uh, you can drink whatever you whatever works for you, <laughs> whatever keeps you going because you have more energy and and positivity than anybody I've ever known. And we were talking earlier, Bonnie, that you went to high school in uh, in in Dutchess County in New York. You've lived all around the country and all around the world, including when you were in the military and now with Taps. But when you were growing up, Bonnie Carroll, what was your first car? Oh, you know, it was a Camaro. I don't know if you remember that. <laughs> That's the Camaro behind me. For, oh. folks, for folks who are listening, you can't see it. But That's the so 69 awesome. Camaro SS, still to be named. We haven't come up with a name yet for this Camaro. That's, That's going to so be a contest great. separately. But tell us more about the Camaro, please. Oh, my gosh. It was one of the last years they made kind of the big steel body. It was so heavy. And it, it was not a convertible like yours. It was kind of a cream color, but it was it was awesome. So that wow. was that was a lot of fun. Do you know what year it was? Gosh, you're really pushing. I don't. It huh? I, I don't. That would. How be, did you, Bonnie? How did you? How did you get your Camaro? Where did it come from? Well, it was obviously very used, <laughs> and so saved up my saved up my money and bought it. I think it was like three thousand dollars. Wow! And and yeah. where was this that you were driving around in your cream colored Camaro? Yeah, this was well. By this time, actually, we had just moved down to outside D.C. in Middleburg, Virginia. Wow. That's cool. I just like that. I mean, I, we got to find that Camaro for you. Maybe we can get one of these three stars to go on, on a recon mission and, and try to find it out. So um, for folks that don't know, Bonnie, I want to get into your story and the amazing work you do. And I'm going to I did a, a long intro kind of kind of framing this up. But every leader I've been talking to since the pandemic hit has been a leader on the front lines of a different element of this war against the virus. And, and I've been wanting to get you on the show ever since I started this. Memorial Day is the perfect time, but you're also leading for your community and, and, and many communities in a really important way. So can you talk about um, how COVID and, and, and the pandemic has hit the communities you serve? Who are they and how have they been impacted so far? Well, Paul, you know, the American people have been there for the military for ever, for generations. And, you know, you saw that after 9-11 when everybody stepped forward to just really support the troops. And now we're seeing the troops are there for the citizens of this country, for the first responders, for the healthcare workers, where we've got National Guardsmen who are guarding those who are doing the COVID testing. And, you know, our civilian population is kind of a bit in the, in the circumstance that our military families have been now for the past 15, 20 years. You know, we're in a situation where there's a lot of isolation. That's what military families feel. 
And you know, when a when a military family sends their loved one off to war, they they have this this sense of angst and anxiety that will their loved one come back? And you know what? Now we're feeling that when they go to the grocery store, when they go out in public, are they going to come back healthy? You know, a lot of the rituals are disrupted. A lot of the, uh, you know, permission to grieve and to mourn, uh, it's, it's all turned upside down. There's a term called shattering the assumptive reality. Mm-hmm. And that's what's happening now in America. Many of the things that we held to be true are now thrown up in the air and we're completely having to think differently. But there's a lot we can learn from what military families have experienced. And uh, we have a lot of that on our website. The taps.org slash COVID site has tons of resources that are available to absolutely everybody. And uh, we just, we want to be there to provide support now and have the backs of our civilian counterparts. Folks who know you, Bonnie, sometimes call you St. Bonnie, right? Because you're there so many times. I remember when we lost Clay Hunt. You were the first, our friend Clay Hunt, who was a co-founder of Team Rubicon and, and a real inspiration for so many people. When we lost him to suicide, you were, I think, the first person I called. And you were there within 24 hours to come to D.C. We were, we were leading Storm the Hill at IABA, and you and your team came in. Time and time again, you were there, you know, but in, in the darkest of night, in the latest of hours, under the most trying circumstances. But can you shape up, Bonnie, how many people you serve, you know, shape the, the demographics uh, of the survivor community and the, you know, the broader military community or how, however you define it. Um, help for people who maybe are farther away from it and only think about it on Memorial Day. How many people and, and who do you serve at TAPS? We're serving all those grieving the loss of a military loved one. And Paul, I just talked with Susan Clay's mom uh, this week. She's attending our virtual seminar and uh, very much now she is herself a peer mentor in awesome. TAPS. But last year in 2019, we had just shy of 7,000 new surviving family members who came to TAPS grieving the loss of a military loved one. You know, a lot of people think the war is over or there aren't that many losses, but we're seeing a very high rate of loss still to suicide and also to illnesses, many as a result of toxic exposures. Can you break that down, Bonnie? I know I remember in the past we were talking and it was you know, maybe post 9-11, a high percentage of the people you were serving were, were killed in action, right? And then you had training accidents are always a part of that, just, you know, the dangerous job that people do in the military. And then we saw a rise in suicides. And now it seems like we're seeing a rise in, in cancer and, and burn pit exposure. Can you shape up how the, that distribution has changed and where you think it's going in, in the future now? Yeah, this in 2019, for the first time, illness loss was at the same rate, about one third of those coming to TAPS as suicide loss. And that's, you know, as our families say, our loved ones brought the war home with them. So they are uh, definitely uh, combat casualties, but uh, under those circumstances. So two thirds of the losses were illness and suicide. Wow. And, and I think it's important for folks to remember, you know, there's still fighting and dying going on in places like Afghanistan. And now you've got COVID, right? This whole new front. And when, uh, when I was thinking about the USS Roosevelt and these people who were, uh, the sailors who were getting impacted by COVID-19, I think it was a master chief that died. You know, what I, what I told people is Bonnie's going to be there for that type of family too. So can you talk about what kind of need you've been seeing that's new after, after COVID and just the overall stress that COVID's putting on, on the force? 
Absolutely. You know, one of the areas we've been really concerned about are the National Guardsmen who have been there on the front lines doing testing and, and not always with the right protective equipment and not in the right duty status. Sometimes they're in a state duty status and sometimes in a federal status. There was a National Guardsman, a physician's assistant who died uh, of COVID in New Jersey, but in a state status, his family did not get the same benefits, protections, and care that the uh, the family of the sailor who died uh, out in the Teddy Roosevelt did. Mm. So TAPS put forward legislation. We got together with all of the veteran service organizations and the National Guard Bureau, and that has gone through now to give additional protections to guardsmen. Awesome. I mean, one, one of the things that you've taught me how to do, and I think have inspired many to do is you think of the pro- think of the problem holistically at a strategic level with the policy change, with the legislation change. I don't know if there's anybody that's more respected inside the Pentagon than you. I mean, the, the Pentagon, every chairman of the Joint Chiefs knows you, their families know you, they know they can rely on you, but then at the same time, you're doing the individual case management, right? Like at, at the individual point of pain, uh, where, where people are facing an unimaginable loss and an unimaginable experience. You've been, you know, at the, you've been in the streets of Afghanistan helping widows, You've been, you know, standing with me at the White House for for bill signing ceremonies. And on on a very basic level, you and I have talked about this, Bonnie. Um, TAPS is so necessary and so essential, and I hope everybody listening will donate and support. But it's it's outrageous to me that you have to even raise money, that you have to ask for the people of the country to donate, that you, you don't have every resource and weapon you need. And so, you know, I've always been a bit outraged about that. I mean, even if only on your behalf, but I I wonder how you see it. And, you know, the question I ask of of everyone, Bonnie Carroll, what makes you angry? Well, it is tough to fundraise uh, for the families when, you know, everybody in America certainly supports those. We have a National Day of Remembrance to honor those who have served and died. And yet we have families who are really struggling out there. You know, they are the living legacies of our nation's service and sacrifice. And uh, we are so grateful when folks donate. But uh, I, I appreciate you saying that, Paul. And thank you for being our champion. It's, mm. it's really, really the best. Thank you. You're, I, I got to have your back. You have our back. Um, but you're also so good and so positive. Um, but but I got I to gotta drill down now that I'm in the media. What, something must make you angry. What, what, Bonnie Carroll, does anything make you angry, righteously angry? We talk about, you know, the righteous anger of, of, of George Washington or Martin Luther King or Harvey Milk or so many others. Is there something in particular that makes you angry? Oh, Paul, you know, our, I tell you, it, what our families have been through, what I've been through with the loss of, of my husband, and uh, it's been a long road. You know, anger is part of grief, and we come out of that to the other side and transition that, transform that into gratitude. Mm. And a big part of what TAPS has discovered and what we help families understand is we only grieve because we love. Mm. And that, you know, grief isn't a mental illness. It isn't a physical injury. I wish we could just take a pill or put a bandage on it, but we can't. The only thing we can do is come together with each other find that support, find that community of care and acknowledge that that love that we have for those we've lost lives on, that it transcends the physical. You know, this is really important for kids because that's always going to be their dad or their mom or their big brother, big sister, their loved one. 
And, you know, they're going to redefine that relationship and they're still going to love that person. And they're probably still going to draw on who that person was to inspire them throughout their life. So we do work, you know, gosh, so much with family members who are just angry at God, angry at, at circumstances, at the military, at, at whatever. And, and we can trans, just kind of very gently bring that into a place of mm. finding hope and gratitude and that love. I was so looking forward to having this part of the conversation with you because you know how real the anger is and you see a kind of natural response to this terrible situation. You, you, you all, I remember when, when Joe Biden, I think for the, maybe one of the first times talked about uh, his grief and the loss of his wife and child in a very open way. Like he spoke about it at a TAPS event, I think, in a way he had never before, talking about his personal burden and the fact that, you know, I don't, I don't know if he said specifically, but suicide had entered his mind or he thought about that, that world for the first time and, and he connected with people in such a vulnerable and powerful way. Um, you, you are such a master of turning emotion into something positive. Can you talk a little bit more about that and maybe specifically what you've seen with, with Vice President Biden and other public people? Um, in how they've, they've shifted and turned it into something positive? Absolutely. And, you know, when Joe Biden was, when Vice President Biden and Jill were with us, you know, he did talk with the families. And what he said was, you know, at that point, I just didn't know if mm. I could go on, if I mm. wanted to go on. And all of our families were right there with him. That's, you know, when you lose a loved one, death is right there. It is, it, it's something that is very, very present in your life. And, and it, it, you wonder, where is my loved one now? And why can't I be with them? And when I die, will I be with them again? I, I had the opportunity, um, very sadly, to be with one of our surviving widows uh, when she passed recently. And in one of our final conversations, she said that she wasn't afraid of death, that she looked at it as now a transition and that she would be with her husband again. So I think our, you know, for our families and what he was expressing is, um, you know, death kind of takes on a, a different meaning for us. But uh, it's certainly, uh, suicide is, is a very different challenge. And TAPS has spent a lot of time now working with our families who have had a loss of a loved one to suicide really understanding, you know, from them, what led up to that? What were all of these contributing factors that led to this one moment in time? Suicide is a very complex, complicated, multi-factor event. It isn't just that one trigger, that one moment. And the more we can understand about what those factors are, and I think you'd be surprised by some of them, the more we can help prevent future suicides. Mm. Bonnie, you, you've been such an inspiration to so many because you, you have experienced it yourself, right? And, and that, that has such important credibility and connection with the community and the communities you serve. And I know a lot of folks are going to be listening to this and are, are dealing with loss or dealing with what might be maybe the lowest point of their life. You're there on the darkest of days and you've helped me understand, I think you've told me once, you know, we mourn the loss, but we celebrate the life and the framework in the way you approach it. But can you tell the story of, of your husband and how TAPS started for folks, folks who don't know it? 
Oh, I'd love to. That's my favorite story. <laughs> I was working in the West Wing of the White House and was the only reservist or National Guardsman who was also on staff. That was my civilian job. So when uh, this whale rescue was going on up in Barrow, Alaska, of all places, uh, the president came to me and he said, he goes, now, Bonnie, he said, you're in the National Guard. He goes, call up there, call someone you know. He said, don't call the Pentagon. They'll be up all night. <laughs> So just you know, gonna call informally, see how we can help. How can the White House? How can the how can the government uh, help? So I, I called someone I knew who knew someone, and and pretty soon I was talking with Tom Carroll up in Barrow, Alaska, and uh, we were together from that phone call on. So it was it was uh, just such a blessing. In um, 2012, there was a movie that came out, Big Miracle with Drew Barrymore and John Krasinski, Ted Danson, Kristen Bell. It was about the whale rescue. But it really is also our story, and the movie actually ends with our wedding. So that was a it's wonderful a, It's such an incredible story. And, and tell folks, who played you in the movie? Well, Vanessa Shaw played me, and Dermot Mulroney played my husband. So I mean, it was, it was such it was a legendary story that we all have heard. And to see it on the big screen. Now, this was when Ronald Reagan was president, right? Yep. So you're yeah. working in the White House with Ronald Reagan. Can you share, you know, what was it like working with Reagan, being around Reagan? What, what, what are your impressions of him? And for folks who didn't see the movie, can you give them a little bit of a tidbit and what you all actually pulled off during oh that time period? Wow. It was um, absolutely amazing. Uh, well, there were these three whales who had gotten stuck in the ice near shore when the rest of the, the sea had started to freeze over. So now it was too frozen too far for them to actually get out from under it and get to open water. So the Eskimos came, and then there were folks from Greenpeace who were trying to protect the whales. They came, and they're trying to free the whales. And the oil company got involved, and the National Guard came in to kind of oversee the whole operation. And ultimately... Tom called me and he said, you know, he said, we're at a point now where there's a what's called a pressure ridge of ice and we, we're just not going to be able to break through it, even though we've kind of gotten the whales in these little air holes all the way close to it. And he said, but, you know, there is a Soviet icebreaker that's close enough that could get here and could actually maybe break through this. Would President Reagan call Mikhail Gorbachev and ask him to bring in the icebreaker? And Paul, I, you know, you're not going to believe this. And this is the first time I've shared this publicly and I've got proof, which I'll, I'll show you. But um, I said to him, I said, well, actually, the Soviet embassy is monitoring this phone call right now. So the fastest way is that they've heard your request. And if they can do anything, you know, we'll hear about it pretty quickly. And sure enough, within two hours into the White House situation room was a official message, secure message from the Soviet embassy saying that the icebreakers, there were two of them actually, had turned and were headed for, to U.S. waters to assist in the rescue of the stranded gray whales. So <laughs> I'll send you that White House message. I've got, it's, I still save that. It's incredible. I mean, it was, it's, it's, it such an, crazy. it's such an incredible story. I mean, it's a story that they should have made a movie of. They could make many movies of, I mean, the height of the Cold War, right? The entire world is riveted on these three whales and you're at the epicenter of it in the White House with Reagan. You meet your future husband. Um, it, it's, it's one of the coolest stories I've, I've ever heard. And for us that know you to see it evolve and then end up on the screen, I remember the premiere. I remember seeing it. it was, and, and to end with your wedding was such a great, great celebration. 
Um, and then later, Ronnie, you've had such an amazing life. You were awarded the, the Medal of Freedom, right? And, and we were all so proud of you. We were so honored to be there and celebrate you and all the work. And, and you're such an inspiring leader. What was that like to get the Medal of Freedom? I don't know if I've, I don't think I've ever had anybody on the show who's received the Medal of Freedom. What oh. was that like for you? Well, you know, Paul, that was a recognition on behalf of, on the part of President Obama of you know, all of the sacrifices that have been made by our men and women and the losses that our nation has, has incurred throughout these wars. So really, I was accepting it on behalf of all of our families. And, you know, what meant the most to me was that you were there, that, that our other partner organizations were part of all of this, that our families at home, we did, uh, we did the thing out on social media, that our surviving families across the country could take selfies of themselves with the TV when, when the Medal of Freedom presentation was on, and then they were posting those. So really sharing in this, that it wasn't an individual award, that it was for all those who have served mm. and sacrificed. And who, who else got it the same year you did? Do you remember some of the... Yeah, always- uh, yeah. Um, well, it, uh, the, there were celebrities, yeah. and then there were you know folks that were more like Katherine Johnson, uh, you know, who uh, who launched us to the moon. Yeah. And on the other side of things were Steven Spielberg, Barbara Streisand, James Taylor, Itzhak Perlman, Gloria and Emilio Estefan. Uh, Willie Mays was Willie there. Willie Mays, yeah. Oh my gosh, he was amazing. He was <laughs> wonderful. It was it was just such an honor to meet him. So, Bonnie, how do you, uh, you, you know, how do you, how do you do it? How do you deal with so much pain? And and you and I have talked about this, you know, over over drinks and and you know at events. And it's such a unique responsibility that you have and a unique weight that you carry. And I know we were talking before we went live that that for me, in many ways, the last couple of months with two little kids and the pandemic has been some of the hardest times of my life. And I've been through some difficult times. And I know folks have it a lot harder, but, but for many folks, you know, this is one of, if not the hardest time of their life. And they may be facing depression. I know I felt depressed at times. I know people are feeling isolated. You know, what, what's your message for them? You're, you're a coach, like you're a great coach for America and for individuals, but what's your message for folks right now that may be feeling down or disconnected or, or isolated? You know, we have a wonderful opportunity right now to really look into our, you know, look inward and reflect on, you know, humanity and how we can be kinder, how we can be more generous, how we can feel gratitude for the things that we do have. That, uh, you know, we've seen wonderful examples of people helping each other, of paying it forward, of looking for those opportunities to support folks who are right on the edge you know, it's a chance for us to um, kind of reframe what, what's important in our lives, to go through maybe while we're at home some of those memories that we've collected over the years, to reconnect with families, to tackle some of the tough problems that we have and uh, bring things to a whole nother level. You know, it was great to see people in the in cities, particularly in New York City, going out at seven o'clock and banging on the pots and singing and just coming together as a community or doing the birthday, uh, you know, parades and convoys around neighborhoods and finding ways to honor the graduates. But that's what we can do as a society. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you look around the world, we have uh, folks now uh, in Iraq and Afghanistan and in England and Istanbul and Yemen and crazy places 
And uh, they're all finding ways that they can be a support to their community. We had a call yesterday. We're presenting again at the United Nations in Geneva as part of Geneva Peace Week. And we talk about turning war grief into positive peace. And now it's how do we bring the humanity into the conflict zone? Mm. We have to move forward. We have to move beyond the wars and the struggle and the strife and the battles. And we have to raise the next generation in peace and security and stability with opportunity. Can we get Biden to select you as his VP candidate? Because he said he's going to pick a woman. He hasn't talked about anybody with any national security experience. So maybe we could do a draft body campaign. <laughs> you know, he'd win Alaska. I mean, it could be. And we saw how that went with an Alaskan. Not <laughs> yeah. so good. You know, Bonnie, you, I've been talking about how this pandemic experience is unique. And I've said for a long time, there are only two things in my life that, that you understand if you, you can only understand them if you've experienced them. And for a long time, it was combat and it was parenthood. Like I, unless you experienced it I, personally, I didn't think you understood, but now I put pandemic in there, right? Like unless you lived through a pandemic, but we are living with, you know, this ever changing environment and that includes Memorial day. So Memorial day is, is, is this month. And we are uh, you know, adapting, improvising, and hoping to overcome in ways that are unique. Um, Arlington is going to be closed to visitors for the first time in my lifetime. I've, I've spent many Memorial Days at Arlington with you and, and, and separately. And it's always a very unique bonding uh, experience. It's always hot as hell. Uh, and we're out there sweating in the sun for hours. But one of the most powerful moments is when we leave the amphitheater and then we all walk down to Section 60. And your, your team, you know, is, is kind of like the ambassadors for Section 60 and, and the keepers of the flame for Section 60 where the post 9-11 uh, folks are, are buried and, and the families come to grieve. They're not going to be able to do that this time, right? They're not going to be able to go and have a, you know, have a drink or say a prayer or bring the kids to the tombstone. And that's, that's profound in my view, right? And that's going to be happening around the country. So I know IAVA is going to do go silent again, and I'm encouraging people to do that and take a minute to go silent. But can you talk about what TAPS is going to be doing for Memorial Day and how you're, you're adapting to this environment? Great, Paul. Well, we are doing our, our national seminar again, and we've got thousands of family members who are coming together virtually, and that's, it kicked off already, and it's going really well, so we will be running that throughout the weekend. We are part of, believe it or not, there are two parades that are happening also kind of virtually, hmm. and they're going to be telecast on Monday as well. So uh, there are many, many ways that we can honor. But for our families, you know, we're actually those who always came to Washington to be with TAPS. It's, uh, it, it is a little bit of a gift that many of them get to be home at their home cemeteries that uh, may allow them to go just maybe one or two of small family groups and to go and visit their loved ones. So, you know, it's a time to, uh, to be in, in your local community and we do the best that we can, but um, mm. whew, it is a different time. I, I always remember when Admiral Mullen was the chairman of the Joint Chiefs and you and I have been, you know, honored to work with him and know him and, and be around him. And I remember, you know, seeing him in his, in his Navy dress whites you know, walking down, he's so tall, he's like six, six or something, right? And all these families would come and go and occasionally presidents would come and go, but he was always there and you were always there. Barbara Starr from CNN was almost always there. 
Um, but it's also like a really draining thing. And my first year away from IAB, I, I got to be honest, like I felt a sense of relief in that like I, I didn't have to work that day in the same way I did. So this might be the only way we can get you to take Memorial Day off. Yeah. And you're not going to take it off, but it's to stop you from running around and, and, and taking on so much, it would only take a, a pandemic to, to slow you down. So, I, but of course, you're figuring out ways to move it forward. Can you talk about, well, I think one of the most profound things that you do at, at TAPS are the Good Grief Camps. And we were around for the uh, Iraq and Afghanistan Deployment Impact Fund, one of, the, one of, if not the biggest philanthropic effort. We both got funding from the great David Gelbaum, who, who we tragically lost, but really left this legacy. And you created these good grief camps that I think are so important and inspiring. And for folks that want to see the resilience of people and especially of young people and of Americans, can you talk about those good grief camps and the kids that you all serve and work with? Oh, it's amazing, Paul. Thank you for asking. It's my absolute favorite. Yeah. And, you know, normally we would we have to cap it at about 500 kids because we bring in 500 military mentors. These are active duty service members, veterans, reservists, who we train to work with a bereaved child. We pair them one-on-one -on -one and then put them into their age groups and the magic happens. I mean, it's really extraordinary. I think last year we actually went way beyond the 500 and we had about, about I don't know, 650, which I think that equals like 1,300 kids and mentors plus all of the facilitators. And they do age-appropriate coping strategies. They connect with others and learn that they're not alone. Mm. They get this connection to a military mentor. So they're kind of relearning that military life, but now not as a dependent child. Now they are in a legacy of American service and sacrifice and in their own right. They go to visit the monuments and they get to see how America honors all those who have served and died, that that's how their loved one, regardless of how or where they died, that's how they are honored and that's how their family is revered by this country. But we have kids now that have grown up in the Good Grief Camp. We, had, we have a boy that came to TAPS in a stroller as just a little baby, and he's now 21 years old and a legacy mentor, which is awesome. So kids that graduate out of Good Grief Camp come back, and they're mentors as well. But it's, it's a really fantastic program, and it's become a family. It's become a, a tribe. It's, it's such a profound legacy. And, and I know, you know, so many times I've – I've gotten an, an email or a text or I got one today um, that I haven't even talked to you about where, where a friend said, hey, we've, you know, I have a family member who lost someone. What do they do? And I said, go to TAPS. Right? And then sometimes they say they're reluctant. And, and when I can't get through to them and I can't get them, they say, I'm okay. Or I don't, first of all, you all have a level of expertise that I think is very important to highlight. Nobody knows the bureaucracy, the process, and the, the science, the emotion, the finance is a very it's a very complicated thing to go through and you need a guide to take you through it. But I also, when I can't get through to them, Bonnie, I say, look, you may not want to do it for yourself, but think about someone else who's going to go through this in a year or in six months or 10 years or 20 years from now, they're going to need you. And, and that sometimes is the one thing that, that keeps them hanging on and keeps them reaching out to you is the idea that it's not about them, but that they can help someone else through that profound and, and deep time. So I wanted to make sure you know, I, I, I told you that and folks heard that because even in those darkest moments and people are having a lot of dark moments right now, 
Like we need you and, and TAPS needs you. And if you have nowhere else to go and nothing else to do, like the kids of TAPS need you. And there will be kids always that will need you. And, and I think it's such an important uh, keeper of the flame. Like TAPS is a keeper of the flame for America. You, uh, I, I've talked before, if America was a religion, the veterans would be like the clergy, right? And TAPS are like the super elite clergy. I don't even know what, what the comparison is. But, but it's such an important role. And, and you bring so much happiness, Bonnie, even in this conversation, maybe people were like, oh, you know, it's going to be Memorial Day, it's going to be a downer. And then you meet Bonnie Carroll, this force of nature that brings happiness. So I want to ask you a question I ask of all of our guests. Bonnie Carroll, what makes you happy? Oh, you know, being with our families and Paul, actually, just having this opportunity to share our story with you and, and this mission, it, it is absolutely wonderful. Just to hear the impact that the work that we do can bring into a life, that uh, we have family members who didn't think they were going to make it, who were really, really struggling, and they reached out and they called our helpline, which is 24-7. You know, they reach out at 2 o'clock in the morning, and just, I actually, when I uh, happened to take one of those calls a while back. At the end of the call, this woman said, you know, I've had this number sitting right there by, you know, by my nightstand. And, and I knew if I ever needed someone really, really bad who would understand, you would be there. And what an awesome responsibility. And that just fills my heart with so much joy that, that we've created this safe space where all those who are grieving a military loss and now Anybody, everybody, please check out taps.org slash COVID and then slash together because there's a tremendous amount of support and love and resource there, information that's open to everybody. So it, it really, really makes me happy that we have built this family that's now there to embrace all those who are grieving. Yeah, you were, you were built for this moment, right? Like all that pain and all that tough stuff is now put you in a position not just to care for the grieving families, but a grieving nation, right? And, and, and I can go into politics more than you can, but like, I think after Trump, we're all gonna be grieving a little bit, right? And we might need a consoler in chief like Biden to help us deal with that pain as a nation. And now it's compounded by the pain of, of, of COVID that is so significant and so severe. But Bonnie, what do you do in those moments where you're under tremendous pressure or you're in a combat zone, you go to combat zones around the world, how do you, is, is there a little escape you have? Is it music or food or something? How, what's your little like, like life hack in, 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 that you can share with others or that works for you that helps you stay a bit away from the work or find that moment? Oh gosh, Paul, that's beautiful. You know, it, it was interesting, and especially when I spent a year in Baghdad, Iraq, and uh, I, I'm Christian, but to hear the Muslim call to prayer each day and to just take that time to be quiet, to listen to the sounds around you, if possible, to be in a really beautiful place and just appreciate that, that moment in time because mm -hmm. uh, they're fleeting and... Uh, you know, I'll never forget the uh, the full moon over the palace in Baghdad and how beautiful that was, or the moon on the Tigris. And there are moments of beauty wherever we are. And if we can just pause for a moment every day and be present in our in our place, in our environment, and feel that and be grateful for it, and uh, and really marvel, marvel that you know the leaves are out now on the trees, that the flowers are blooming. And uh, amidst all of this, this pain and chaos and, and loss and sadness, 
that that life is going on and there are things to be grateful for. I love that. You are a, a tremendous reason for us all to be grateful for. And we, I was out on a walk with Ryder yesterday and, uh, and we're, you know, exploring it's spring. Right. And, and I tell him that same thing, look for those moments of beauty. And I saw a bird's nest and I thought I knew what it was. And I said to him, I was like, buddy, let's go over here and look inside. He go, and I said, do you know what's inside? He said, no. And I thought it was going to be what it was. And I lifted him up and he looked down and it was four brilliant blue robin's eggs. Wow. You know, that, that unique blue that only those types of eggs have. And he had never seen it in his life in person. And so that moment where he saw it, and it, it almost doesn't look real, but the majesty of it and the wonder of it was so important. And it will be, you know, when I look back on the pandemic, folks say to me, you know, kids aren't going to remember one thing you did or whether they took a class. They're going to remember how you made them feel, right? And how they felt in that time, if they felt safe, if they felt wonder. And I'm trying to find those little moments for my son where he can have that wonder. And he hopefully remembers about this time. He saw bright blue robin's eggs for the first time in his life. It wasn't about wearing a mask. It was about that, that moment. So that's what you've taught me and, and so many others. And I am so profoundly grateful for all that you do and all that you are. Um, and I have to present you with some gifts as, as is tradition on the show. So, um, I am going to present you with the gifts that come to all of our guests. Now, the first is pretty straightforward. I've got some angry Americans, uh, gear for you made in America by the veterans of Oscar Mike, who I know, you know, so I'm going to, I'm going to send that over to you. Uh, it'll be en route. Um, and then I've also got you're going to love this stuff. Bravo Sierra is a sponsor of our show and they've got uh, antibacterial wipes and soaps and they've got a new, uh, a new deodorant that is, that is unscented, which is coming by popular demand. You're going around the world. So I'll get you some of this. You can shove it in I your love it. bag. Um, Thanks Paul. I love it. And then I always pick an American whiskey and if you don't want to drink it, you can give it to someone else. And I went into, I actually went into the liquor store, all PPD up because I did it one month, I bought a, I think, guy thought I was at a drinking problem because I bought so much liquor for all my guests coming up. But I looked for a bottle that speaks to me. And I found this one, which, which is Springbrook. It's a Springbrook high-rise uh, high straight whiskey um, from the Springbrook Distillery, which is actually in upstate New York. So I'm trying to represent for New York stuff. But it has a moose on it. I love it. You That's can see, so and folks listening, it's got a moose on it. And I couldn't find Alaskan whiskey but I thought the moose was, was such a strong, beautiful, majestic representation of America, and so are you. Oh. And because it's Memorial Day, I'm also going to throw in, I found an American flag flask that you can put in, that I'm going to put in there. You can put your latte in it if you don't want to drink whiskey. <laughs> uh, and then the final piece, which is, which is custom in our show, uh, which our listeners know, is from the beginning, we've had peeps, the, the Easter oh. treats. And there are three colors, yellow, pink, and blue. And my final real question for you, Bonnie, is, is which color would you choose and why? Yellow, blue, or pink? Uh, you know, my, my go-to, my first thought was um, the blue because, you know, we've just done so much now with the turning blue for supporting our first responders. And everything, if you look at our website, we've got that great picture of the Empire State Building when it went blue. And um, I think we have uh, an awful lot to thank for those who have stepped forward and protected us during this time. But I love peeps. <laughs> I love all of those. And I love the moose. That's fantastic. 
Well, we love you, and I can think of nobody better. Uh, not you know, in, in some ways, Memorial Day. Well, Memorial Day is obviously about honoring the folks we've lost, right, in combat and the fallen. And this country is is losing so many people now, more than we lost in Vietnam. And it's a time of uh, where almost every day feels like Memorial Day. And I could think of nobody better than you to help guide us through that and guide us through it with positivity and with power and with optimism. And you are truly. I think the, the finest public servant that I know, um, I talk about inspiring important and iconic Americans and, and you, you fit that bill more than anyone I've known. So it's, it's been a tremendous honor to know you and to have you on this show. And I just want all of America to know about you and to root for you like we all do who love you. But um, thank you for all that you do, especially on weekends and times like this. Um, I, I think that your reward is be, it will be that you'll be called on even more. Uh, so the country is going to get to know you even more in the years to come. But Bonnie, I am so grateful for you and, and thank you for all that you do and for joining me on the show. God bless you, Paul. And I love you so much. And thank you for always having our back. You got it. Always will. I'll let you get back to a lot of work you have to do coming up. Um, folks will check out taps.org, follow Bonnie Carroll on Twitter and look for her in the movies. She is, she, she, she should be celebrated as a movie star and you'll find out the amazing story of Bonnie Carroll that continues to unfold. My dearest thanks to you, my friend. Mm, thank you so much, Paul. All right, people, Father's Day is coming. Believe it or not, Father's Day will be here soon. And I got a great idea for you. Bravo Sierra, bravosierra.com. And they have something very new that I'm excited to share with you. A new unscented deodorant. Unscented deodorant, which is aluminum-free, baking soda-free, hardworking, long-lasting odor and sweat protection. And it's fragrance-free. I am a guy who prefers unscented products, especially if I'm outside. You don't want anything that will attract bugs or attract anything else. If you like fragrance-free sweat protection, Bravo Sierra now has it. It was their highest requested item, and they have rolled it out just now. It does not stain clothes. It is baking soda-free, and if you don't love it, this is the great part about Bravo Sierra. You get your money back, no questions asked. Here is a cool testimonial on the website from a guy named Jeff at Virginia Beach. I just got back from dive training, and the deodorant was still working when I took all my gear off. And there's another part about Bravo Sierra that, that's really cool. Sometimes you want to simplify without having to sacrifice performance. And Bravo Sierra, as you know, engineers highly effective, non-toxic grooming products that stand the test of the most active lifestyle. Bravo Sierra has an unprecedented testing program with a thousand U.S. military service members, and they always give back. 5% of every sale goes to support programs for active duty military members, veterans, and their families. You'll look clean. You'll feel good. You'll smell great. All day with products that are healthy, high quality, and affordable. Men's Health calls them a game-changing grooming line. You can go to bravosierra.com. You can get the antibacterial wipes. You can get the deodorant. You can get shaving gear. You can get soaps. It's absolutely excellent. And here's a cool thing I haven't told you about before. They actually have a six-question Bravo Sierra kit builder, so you can find the product selection that fits your lifestyle. So if you go to bravosierra.com, you can actually build your own kit based off your lifestyle. They have a six-question BS kit builder to find out which products are going to match your needs the most. So how much time do you spend outdoors? How often do you work out or play sports? How often do you shave? What's the weather like where you live? How often do you travel? 
Do you use hairstyling products? Answer these questions and Bravo Sierra will customize a kit just for you. All their stuff is under 15 bucks. It's totally affordable. And if you use the code angry at checkout, you get 15% off. You know, I love Bravo Sierra gear. You've seen it in our videos. You've seen it on the website and you've seen them support this movement. Check them out. And it's perfect for Father's Day. Order now and you will get it in time for Father's Day. Grooming Essentials, field tested by the members of the U.S. military, made in the USA and kicking ass just like this show. And an important reminder, they are giving back this Memorial Day. So if you do nothing else, buy some Bravo Sierra and they will give back to military programs. Bravo Sierra, made in the USA and kicking ass just like this show. There's plenty of reason to be angry right now. And everyone is angry sometimes. Bonnie laid that out. But we all feel it now. But like Bonnie shared, there's a way to move forward, even after tremendous loss. Whether you've lost your husband, your job, your graduation, or your health, there's always a way to make an impact. And it's time to turn that anger, sadness, frustration, inspiration, agony into positive impact. It's time to be a helper. Always look for the helpers. There will always be helpers, you know, even just on the sidelines. Because if you look for the helpers, you'll know that there's hope. Every show, we have a way to convert your righteous, understandable anger into positive action. Positive action that shows that angry Americans can be impactful Americans, just like Bonnie. An action that will channel your energy, make you feel good, and make a difference. And like this show, our actions are always packed with the four eyes: integrity, information, impact, and inspiration. There was a decorated general with a heart of gold that likened him to all the stories he told of past battles won and lost and legends of old. A seasoned veteran in his own time. Bonnie described it. The need is great and growing. The CDC predicts that 70% of the American public could become infected by the coronavirus. And our country is experiencing the highest unemployment rate in recent history. Every state in the U.S. has mobilized the National Guard and the military is activating the reserves and even retirees to support COVID-19 response efforts. Many will get sick and some will be lost to the illness and will need TAPS more than ever because they're tackling many of the most important issues that are below the radar. National Guard members generally do not qualify for federal benefits, including death benefits, while mobilized under state orders. Some military survivors are one-income families, and even with a government stimulus check, many are struggling to make basic living expenses. 25% of TAPS military responders recorded income of less than $27,000 a year. 10 million veterans are over age 60 and designated as high risk for mortality from COVID-19. TAPS is available for them 24-7 to support the needs of their loved ones. 20% of respondents have already lost income, either due to layoffs, reduction in hours, or because they were a small business owner. 64% of TAPS survivors are not receiving monthly benefits following the death of their military loved one. And check this out. An active duty spouse with two kids receives $27,241 in benefits. And the poverty guideline for a three-person family is $21,330. 61% of TAPS surviving spouses not receiving monthly benefits have at least two or more dependents under the age of 18 living in their home. 
And 70% of TAP survivors reported an increase in grief for themselves and their families due to the disruption in grief rituals, increased stress, and isolation from COVID-19. 82% of TAP survivors recorded an increase in feelings of grief, anxiety, depression, and sadness from COVID-19. And 90% reported a notable increase in anxiety, depression, and grief of their family member as a result of COVID-19. So time is of the essence. America's survivors need support and action to get them through another challenging time. And TAPS is uniquely positioned to provide a loving support system for them, just like Bonnie described. They're no stranger to challenging times, and we're all doing our part to support one another and get through these difficult times together. But as always, TAPS is there 24-7. Their team is working hard to provide resources, services, and support to military families as they navigate the challenges of COVID-19. You can find out more and help at TAPS.org. Go to TAPS.org backslash COVID. That's TAPS.org backslash COVID. And if you go there, you can find resources for yourself. You can make a donation. You can volunteer and help support their critical programs like emergency financial assistance, where they get immediate emergency financial aid to surviving military families after all other options have been exhausted. They have 24-7 life-saving support whenever it's needed, thanks to their National Military Survivor Helpline. They're doing new virtual meetups, connecting survivors, and conducting virtual events that were previously in person. They're also helping with suicide loss. TAPS provides gentle, understanding support to help people work through the complicated emotions associated with suicide loss. And they've got young adult programming that helps maintain positivity during the tough times especially around Memorial Day. Don't let them be forgotten. Get involved for them and for yourself. Be a helper. Do what you can. Be vigilant and be active. Take your shower and shine your shoes. Well, you got no time to lose. You are young man, you must be living. And if you got a story to tell or a resource to share, find me on social media using the hashtag AngryAmericans and let me know. Don't just be angry, be active. All right, big thanks to a few folks that helped make this episode happen. As we continue to push through the pandemic episodes, each one is challenging, each one is unique, and each one is a true team effort. Most of all, I want to thank Bonnie Carroll. Follow her on Twitter, get her book, go to taps.org, and thank her, because she's an incredible American that's doing good work every single day and saving and changing lives. My big thanks to Bonnie and her entire TAPS team, and especially for taking time to talk to me in what is their busiest week of the year. The Righteous Media team continues to crank. Want to thank Mighty Mercy Rich for continuing to hold it down. Creative Chris Rosenthal, our design guru, continuing to make good stuff happen. The great and powerful Bill Schultz making the audio magic sing. Thank you, Bill. And Bravo Sierra, our partners. Memorial Day is here, and they give back. They give back 5% of every sale, so check them out. You can also get some stuff for Father's Day. Go to bravosierra.com backslash angryamericans. You get 15% off, and you get some awesome stuff. 
Memorial Day is about never forgetting, and I want to never forget our Patreon members, the vigilant, the very vigilant, the most vigilant, especially want to welcome Radford Dew, welcome to Radford, and Jim Pfeiffer, our friend who's doing awesome work with Essential Ohio. He has now joined the vigilant. I want to welcome him and check out Angry Americans on Patreon. If you haven't checked it out yet, I've been sharing a look inside my garage. You can find out who our guests are first. You will get lots of other goodies, including videos, before we post them publicly. There's a link in the description of where Wherever you got this pod, or you can go to angryamericans.us, you can join our Patreon crew, you can be a member of the vigilant, the very vigilant, or the most vigilant, whatever your budget allows, you will get access to all kinds of cool stuff, and you will help support independent media. You'll help me keep this cranking throughout the pandemic and whatever comes next. It helps us maintain our independence, and it helps us keep the lights on. So thank you for your support. Check us out on Patreon. Also, I want to thank my man Chris Cuomo. Cuomo continues to keep the focus and continues to stay on our issues and had me on his show this week. One thing, do you know what kind of car that is you're standing in front of or do you just want to be cool? <laughs> First off, love you back. Appreciate your leadership. Of course I know what kind of car it is. It's a 69 Camaro SS, 354 on the floor. And I think America's had enough of potted plants and bookcases. So now you can have an American-made Camaro in my garage. And I unveiled the new studio and the Camaro, my 69 Camaro, made its national TV debut. Cuomo gave me shit about the car, but the car still needs a name. So you can let me know on social media your suggestion on the name for my orange 69 Camaro SS. If you've seen the videos or you saw me on CNN, you know what the car looks like. If you haven't, go to angryamericans.us and you can see video of our last few episodes. And I am taking suggestions on a name for that beauty. So far, I've heard Orange Crush, Sunkissed, Agent Orange, Ida, Cuomo, a lot of names people have been suggesting for the car. We haven't landed on anything yet, so check us out. Uh, go to angryamericans.us with my thanks to Chris Cuomo for keeping up the spotlight. My thanks also to the great and powerful Ron Perlman, star of Sons of Anarchy and Hellboy, and our guest in a previous episode. Go back and check that out if you haven't already, but the great Ron Perlman continues to be a great supporter of mine and of Righteous Media and of this podcast, and I did a Righteous Late Night on Instagram last Sunday and Ron was nice enough to join me. He will join me again, and here's a highlight. What's your favorite state in America? My favorite state? Yeah. Um, I would have to say, well, it's a tie, because I live in both California and New York, and I love both those states. There's no there's no third-party option here. you got to pick, man. Which one? Um, I'm loyal to New York State, bro. It's my home go. state. It's my home state. Okay. You can go to the Righteous Media YouTube page to see more from my conversation with Ron, but I also asked him what he thinks about Jesse Ventura potentially jumping in. I asked him who his favorite Yankee is and his favorite Saturday morning cartoon. But the great Ron Perlman, he's always entertaining. He's always inspiring. Go to the Righteous Media YouTube page to check out more and follow me on Instagram. We'll be doing more Righteous Late Nights around 1030 a couple times a week. You can sound off. You can join us and we will have have lots of surprise guests and ron perlman will be back but my thanks to ron it's time for thank a listener every week i thank a few angry americans for listening and supporting this pod i'll make you famous yes i will make you famous 
if you sound off on social media or give us a call on our hotline, 833-33-ANGRY, 833-33-ANGRY. It's a free call, as if that matters anymore to folks, but it is a free call. You can check us out. Leave me a message. Let me know what you're doing in the pandemic. Stay frosty. Let me know if you have any pandemic hacks. Let me know your suggestion on the name of the car. Let me know guests you'd like to hear. Sound off, 833-33-ANGRY. Let me know, and I may use your clip in an upcoming show. Do it. Seriously, do it. Do it. Do it. All right, my thanks to my old friend, Christine Bader, who is checking in from McMinnville, Oregon. McMinnville, which is my favorite named town of the week. McMinnville, Oregon. Christine Bader is an old friend, and she does work examining the role of business and work in our society and how we live. And she has a new project called The Life I Want. You can check it out on her website, christinebader.com. But she's a storyteller, an advisor, a facilitator, and an idealist. She's one of the coolest people I know. Uh, Her most recent adventure in the world of full-time time work was when she was Amazon's director of social responsibility. And she wrote a book back in 2014 called The Evolution of a Corporate Idealist, When Girl Meets Oil, which chronicled her career in social responsibility and weaves the story of her peers in other companies. She also had a really cool TED Talk. She worked with the United Nations. She taught business and human rights at Columbia. She's written for lots of publications. And maybe my favorite thing of all, from 2018 to 2019, she moved to Indonesia and enrolled her kids in the Green School which is a really cool thing if you've never seen it google it but the green school uh, is an incredibly innovative community school in the rainforest in indonesia Uh, she's now living in the heart of oregon wine country and she's just an awesome human being and she tweeted that she was happy to listen to two amherst college angry americans jaw on anything it was a major bonus to hear jeffrey wright riff on activism and art his front row seat to the ebola crisis and how he supports his community now and of course Westworld and she said thanks Paul Rykoff my thanks to you Christine and if you haven't gone back and checked out the episode with Jeffrey Wright it is now one of our top rated episodes ever he's a super cool guy he continues to do great work with Brooklyn for Life so many of you have supported his effort and uh, our recent guest Rosie Perez has also jumped in so big shout out to Rosie Perez if you haven't checked out that episode go back and check it out and there's video for both of them Jeffrey Wright and Rosie Perez Rosie was one of the last in-person interviews we did. Uh, You can hear about when she was in Birds of Prey. We talk about boxing and we talk about Brooklyn, which has been especially hard hit, but really cool to see Rosie and Jeffrey hooking up now, doing good work to support those in the front lines. You can check it all out at angryamericans.us. We've also gotten lots of comments on the car. People are sounding off about the car. They saw it on CNN, so please keep that coming. And my thanks to you, and my thanks to everybody who sounded off about the Baratunde Thurston episode. It got a lot of great feedback. We dug deep into the Ahmed Aubrey case. We talked about how to be black in the pandemic. But my thanks again to Baratunde Thurston for joining us, and to all of you for checking it out. Many of you told me that you liked that show, and I really appreciate it. All right. Also, my thanks to Room Raider. If you haven't seen this, there's a Twitter account called Room Raider. And what they do is rate Skype rooms and Zoom rooms from people who are on television. And they give you a grade. Out of 10, they rate your background. uh, And they do it for everybody who is on television across every single network. 
They've now got close to 200,000 followers, and it's become kind of a thing. So when I was on TV with Chris Cuomo, they raided my room. Now, disappointingly, they only gave me a 7 out of 10. I had the Camaro. I had the whiskey. I even had the peeps, and I only got 7 out of 10. So I'd like to appeal my rating. I think that people with potted plants and, and bookcases are getting 10 out of 10, but my Camaro and whiskey only got a 7. I think that's bullshit. So I respectfully would like to request an appeal to my rating. And I would ask all of you to find Room Raider on Twitter and let them know that you think that our rating is bullshit. We should be way higher than a 7 out of 10. But despite my crappy rating, I want to thank Room Raider for checking me out and for supporting this pod inadvertently. But my thanks to all of you. Please keep the feedback coming. Keep the support coming. Keep the tweets coming. I like it. I love it. Use that hashtag, Angry Americans, and sound off, uh, especially this Memorial Day weekend. Let me know if you're taking time to remember someone, but I'm grateful for all of you. And I'm especially thankful, of course, to my wife and two boys who continue to chug along in the pandemic. The warm weather is finally here, and we continue to try to find beauty out there. If you look hard enough, you can find it. Ryder and I went for a walk the other day, and for the first time in his life, he saw robin's eggs. Four beautiful turquoise, amazingly blue robin's eggs. It was the first time he'd ever seen them in his life. And we found some amazing beauty, even in these tough times. So it's a reminder of how amazing my boys are, how amazing my wife has been. But also just a reminder that you can find nature almost anywhere and you can find beauty almost anywhere. So keep pushing forward. Keep bringing the calm. Keep bringing the light to counter all that heat. And please tell your friends to check this podcast out if you're on an Apple device. Leave the show a quick five-star review right now uh, and subscribe. Tell your friends to subscribe. It's 100% free. It doesn't cost you anything, and you will have it hot and fresh waiting for you each Thursday evening. I work hard on it all Thursday and try to get it to you right around dinner time, uh, and it will be there for you on Thursday nights. Pour yourself a drink and join us. Please keep the feedback coming on social media. Follow us on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram. I see you. I hear you. And I'm with you. Go to angryamericans.us. You can sign up for our newsletter. And you can go back and see over 60 episodes, including all the videos and background on our guests. So stay tuned. Subscribe for free and share. And we will keep this movement growing week by week throughout this summer, no matter what happens. And it's okay to be angry, especially now. Know that you're not alone. We're all a little angry. That's because we're paying attention. Did they beat the drum slowly? Did they play the pipe slowly? Did they sound the death march as they lowered you down? So Memorial Day is this month. And if you're listening to this show before Memorial Day or you're listening to this show after Memorial Day, I ask you to take a minute to reflect and honor the fallen. Honor the fallen that have been lost of all generations and especially anybody you know. This Memorial Day, Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America will lay a wreath again before a local veterans monument. And we will pause nationally for a moment of silence at 3 p.m. local. So wherever you are, whoever you're with in this pandemic, at 3 p.m. on Memorial Day, or if you get this after Memorial Day, take another day and gather your friends and family across the country in person or on Zoom and join us for a national moment of silence to honor all those who've made the ultimate sacrifice. You can use the hashtag GoSilent or go to IAVA.org. You can pledge to go silent in honor of someone you know, or you can just go silent in honor of the community. But take a minute. 
reflect on Memorial Day, come together as a nation in a way that we really don't at any other time and honor all the fallen that have come before us and especially the fallen in the fight against the coronavirus now. We've been doing a lot of reflecting over the last couple of months, but Memorial Day is an especially profound time to do it and to teach the younger generation about what the meaning is, the true meaning of Memorial Day. It's not about mattress sales. It's not about 10% off on a mattress. It's about remembering the men and women we've lost. And even in that loss, we can gain so much and we can continue to move forward together and look forward to the future. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thanks for listening. Stay vigilant, America, and stay frosty, even if it's getting warm outside, and maybe especially stay frosty. Did the pipes, did the flowers of the fall.